Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceilings does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. Of course, I am your host, the one and only purveyor of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. Hope y'all had a nice holiday weekend celebrating our freedoms, or at least the freedoms that we have left to enjoy. There aren't many, so it's it's a, a pretty narrow and focused celebration, at least in uh, libertarian circles, <laughs> that is. But if you haven't already, go back and listen to the last episode. If you're maybe a little behind and you're thinking of skipping it, I highly recommend you go back and listen to that before you know we lose the whole spirit of the july 4th holiday i think a lot of people need to hear that episode i had a pretty good weekend myself a very low-key fourth of july it really didn't feel like the fourth of july and i think a lot of people are sort of feel the same way all of the festivities around here were canceled and i ended up going to a family friend's house we had a nice little dinner Drank a few bottles of wine, lit off a few fireworks at night, but I mean, it was, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like a holiday, and it's too bad. It's too bad, because I used to have great 4th of Julys. My best friend growing up lived across the street from me, and his his dad threw just a fantastic 4th of July party, and always had a ton of fireworks. We were situated on this community golf course and his backyard faced the faced the golf course there was always a ton of good food a lot of booze and he was just a lunatic when it came to fireworks he always had huge impressive fireworks for like a civilian and he just had like a ton of them so we could go into all hours of the night blowing stuff up and it was a lot of fun and then the actual the professional fireworks would come you could actually see them from the golf course they would come up over the Baha'i temple which uh, for any of you not familiar with the Baha'i religion they have a, a temple I think they have one on every continent and you could actually see um, the one that's on our continent from uh, my uh, front yard basically growing up just to be able to sit there and uh, and see the fireworks just explode over that in the sky was always such a treat and really just there there was no reason to cancel fireworks I mean there there's no um, problem social distancing or anything like that when you're watching fireworks it just seemed like a, a really stupid thing to do and, and just really unnecessary just one of those really unnecessary hammers coming down from from local governments 
I don't know if they had some retarded logic like, well, if we cancel the fireworks, people aren't going to have Fourth of July parties. No. No, everybody was still having Fourth of July parties. And in places like California and New York, where um, they, they canceled all the festivities, you could see just uh, thousands of people lighting off fireworks all over the place. Chicago's always like that. I, I face West here, and every Fourth of July, I could just sit on my balcony into the, the wee hours of the night and see fireworks off in the distance, all these little neighborhoods just lighting off fireworks all night long. But apparently in California, that's pretty rare, and they were just in awe at um, how many people were protesting or at least violating the uh, the government decree of no fireworks on the 4th of July. So that was always nice to see. But anyway, yeah, like I said, it's always sort of a bittersweet holiday for me anyways. And then the fact that like nobody was really doing anything, there wasn't really any anywhere to go. It just uh, it was a little depressing. It was a little depressing, but we definitely made the best of it. I had a great time at, at my friend's house. Had a, a wonderful meal, and you know it's always great to to be in good company and enjoy a few bottles of wine. I guess it's times like these. I wish I had a co-host for this show to actually talk to somebody and see what they did for their holiday weekend or if they had any thoughts on the matter. But alas, it is just yours truly. I guess we'll just get right into things because I don't have a whole lot else to talk about today. I did have a few more, I guess, thoughts on the whole founding of America that I I did the episode on before and I didn't really get into the slavery stuff because I just I feel like that's sort of been beaten to death but you know some people bring this up and I don't know if a lot of people have really good takes on this you you get you know misguided defenses of the founding fathers and and what they were trying to accomplish because you know the the current take on this from the left in America and academia and Hollywood and everything like that is that, well, you know, we have to tear these statues down and we can't honor the founding fathers because they own slaves. And since they own slaves, they're bad people. And this country is horrible. None of this is worth celebrating. I've always wondered, I, you know, I never get, really get to talk to those types of people on the 4th of July when they're celebrating. I've always wondered what they themselves are celebrating. Like, why are they at a party? Why are they, like, what exactly are they doing? If everything is so horrible and the fact that the people that came up with the idea for America and took a stand for America held all of these immoral positions in contradiction with their ideas and the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and everything like that. I, I just don't understand what what they're doing, what they're celebrating on on the Fourth of July. But my biggest problem with that whole line of thinking is just the lack of historical context that that's involved with it. I mean, yes, you know, like George Washington, he owned slaves. But here's the thing. Up until that point in time, you have to go back and, and realize like what it's like to live during that day. When you're born into a family that already owns slaves, and up until that point in time, ev- like the entire history of mankind 
people owned slaves. It was never really thought of as wrong by the vast majority of the population, like 97% of people. The, the amount of abolitionists out there is, is pretty commensurate with the amount of libertarians in today's population. Like 99% of the world, this was just how life was for humans. Like we had slaves. This is how society was organized. And to fault somebody using the modern day 2020 culture for being born into that situation, for not like immediately just knowing that the entire way of the world is immoral and wrong, I think is a little unfair. And at the same time, it was actually illegal for him to, for George Washington to free his slaves. Like a lot of this stuff was also codified. All of the, like the racist um, policies of the United States, they were all like written into law which makes you wonder why they had to make it illegal, right? Like, why did they have to make it illegal to free slaves? Maybe because some people wanted to free them. And, you know, fast forward to, like, Jim Crow era and all of those laws on the books to segregate society. It's like, why why did they have to make it illegal for, uh, you know, black people to eat at a certain cafe or whatever, the implication being the implication of the that law existing is that absent that law existing, people were going to integrate that the cafe was going to serve black people. And so they had to write a law forbidding it. But so, I mean, like even if he wanted to, to free his slaves, George Washington wouldn't have been able to do that. It would have been against the law. Now you can certainly fault him for not violating that law if you want. There are definitely laws that I that are immoral on the books that I wholeheartedly support violating. This would be one of them, and there were plenty of people that took that risk that he didn't. But I, I think we have to put this into historical context. I mean, this was the way of life since the dawn of man. People owned slaves, and he was born into a position that had never been criticized by society. It was never really considered wrong or immoral by the vast majority of society. And he threw all of that away. He was essentially like royalty, okay? His family owned something like 8,000 acres on the Potomac, I think it was. And he gave it all up. He put his life on the line because he came to the conclusion Contrary to the vast majority of society at the time and the world and the history of the world, that it was immoral. And he did put into his will to have them freed when his wife died, to have his slaves freed. Now, yeah, it would have been, would it have been, been better to have him free them a lot earlier than that or never have them in the first place? Absolutely. I guess the point I'm trying to make is like, you know, he didn't have to do any of that. He could have just lived his life being like a king almost, rich beyond your wildest dreams, all the land in the world, but he didn't. He gave it all up. He gave it all up for an idea. And while you're all walking around in 2020 today thinking that you have some moral high ground and you're so noble and virtuous because you're against slavery from 160 years ago, which also is agreed upon by 99% of the world. But at the same time, you never question any of the other immoral practices of the state 
just like the 97% of the population today who are statists, who aren't willing to eliminate the evil institutions that rob, steal, kidnap, and enslave people simply because you're incapable of envisioning a world where the roads or education or healthcare couldn't be provided by the government. I guarantee that if those types of people were born in George Washington's day, they would have been pro-slavery. If you are a person who thinks, well, who will build the roads or who will provide education without the government forcing people to do it at essentially gunpoint, you would have been pro-slavery in George Washington's day as well because that was the norm. That was the way things were. That was the way things were always done. And you're a lemming, and that's how lemmings operate. While abolitionists would have been going around making arguments as to how slavery is wrong and it needed to be abolished no matter what, simply because it's wrong and it's immoral, you would be going around talking about how without slavery, we'd have no way of getting cotton or who would plow the fields and how are we going to get food? Like all that, all those retarded arguments. You see, libertarians and anarcho-capitalists, we are the modern-day abolitionists. And all of you statists are the modern-day slavery sympathizers. Slavery is gone. It's abolished. It is never coming back, okay? At least not in America, all right? If you are really upset about slavery, look around the world to places like Libya where there is an open slave trade going on to this day as a direct result of U.S. foreign policy, and maybe get upset about that. I don't know why we're going back and fighting the the Civil War again. That's over. It's done with. It's gone. There's actually actual slavery going on right now, and and you guys are turning a blind eye. But the the modern-day slavery, the modern-day oppression that is evil and immoral is the state. That, that all of these people are perpetuating. Now, is it on the, the same level as like actually enslaving people and, and whipping them and making them work? No, obviously not. But um, it is still very immoral. It's still very wrong. Everything is coerced. Everything is forced at the threat of violence. And when all of these people who are so upset about immoral behavior from 160 years ago are faced with the fact that there's a lot of immoral, evil things going on today in the world, well, they make up excuses because they can't envision a world different from the one that they're used to, different from the way things were always done. And I would argue, I would submit to you, that these are the same people that were responsible for perpetuating slavery 160 years ago, had they been alive that day and age. That mentality... That mentality to never question anything, never question the norm, to never get rid of evil, immoral institutions simply because you can't envision a a better voluntary way of going about doing things. That is the type of mentality that perpetuates evil institutions like slavery. So anyway, you have to put these things into historical context when you're judging them. And it's weird because we do that with the good things throughout history that people accomplish. But for some reason, context uh, can't be taken into account 
when we're judging the bad things that people do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if, uh, if we judged Rosa Parks for sitting in the front of the bus with no historical context, it would be like, yeah, yeah, so what? Black people sit in the front of the bus all the time today. So it's no big deal. What, what she did was nothing, right? But when you put it into historical context, it was a big deal. Or like take blackface, for instance. You can't judge someone wearing blackface 80 years ago the same way you would someone doing it today. Because 80 years ago, in the historical context, it wasn't considered nearly as offensive as it is today. It's like, yes, uh, things evolve. We evolve as people as a culture and we can look back at things that used to be done and realize now that they are wrong as the evolution of society takes place we can look at look at historical things and be like yeah that was really that was really horrific that was wrong i'm so glad we don't do that anymore and part of the reason that we can look back at slavery now and realize how immoral it was is precisely because like thinkers like George Washington took a stand, had a radical idea of America and put everything on the line to make it come to fruition. Yes, they couldn't snap their fingers and completely alter society uh, of millions of people and the way humans had interacted with one another for thousands of years overnight. And yes, the founding fathers are far from perfect. They were not these infallible, righteous deities as some on the other side of these debates would have you believe. Absolutely not. And I'm not saying we have to make excuses for them or, or excuse immoral behavior in you know every instance, but I do think a little historical context is uh, important for you know a clear perspective on things. And at the very least, I think you have to admit that what they did put us on a path to where we are today. And who knows where we would be as a society or where black people would be if they hadn't stood up for what they believed in, even if there was an element of hypocrisy involved. Even if while they were trying to create this American society where all men are created equal, they still own slaves. And by the way, the notion that leftists are offended by the hypocrisy of the founding fathers is pretty hilariously hypocritical in and of itself. I mean, to be a leftist is to be hypocritical by its very nature. Their entire ideology is one hypocrisy after another, and that never seems to offend their delicate sensibilities when it's them being hypocritical. But the second that they find uh, some hypocritical inconsistencies in something they don't like, oh, then it's, you know, the end of the world. So, I don't know. I, I think we, we need to take a more nuanced approach to history and, well, and to everything. Uh, unfortunately, nuance has no place in 2020 society. I think it's okay to, to acknowledge the good things that people do for society, even if they've also done some really bad things. I, I don't think anybody is better off by either whitewashing history to make everything look like sunshines and rainbows or, um, I don't know, blackwashing. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say blackwashing. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds bad, doesn't it? Whatever the opposite of uh, whitewashing is. <laughs> it's got to be blackwashing. It's got to be blackwashing. 
or blackwashing history and making all of these people out to be, you know, genocidal maniacs because they were born into a society and they and they lived among society's rules for, you know, half of their life. And because we now realize the heirs of their ways, that that somehow invalidates the entire like this is uh America is uniquely evil because they had slavery or this is like a terrible country. Uh, historical context, like compared to what? Compared to any other country throughout history in that historical time period. You don't get to compare 18th century America with 21st century countries. Com- compare it to other 18th century countries and I think you'll find that it's uh, it was just like a lot of other countries. It was not uniquely evil. The same things that made countries evil back then are what make them evil today, and that is the state, and that is what we should all be focusing our efforts toward eliminating this day and age. Not dwelling on something that happened a couple hundred years ago. Let's focus on eliminating the evil institution that enabled all of the most horrific things that have ever taken place throughout history, the state. Anyway, uh, that is not what I really planned on talking about today, but I, I thought it was an, an important issue to address. For what it's worth, that's my take on it. Anyway, the uh, craziness that is 2020 continues with a Kanye West presidential run, uh, he announced. Uh, I don't know if it was over the weekend. I don't know exactly when it was. But uh, apparently he is going to run for president now, try to unseat Donald Trump. I thought they were buddies. I don't know what he thinks he's doing over here. Fairly interesting development. Not that I don't I don't think he's going to get a lot of ballot access or anything like that. But I, I wonder if you can can you still write names in on the ballot? Do they give you that option even though it's electronic? I haven't voted in like 20 years, so um, I don't know how this works anymore. But pretty interesting to have. Uh, well, I mean, it's. I think the uh, the whole black community really sort of kicked Kanye to the curb when he came out in support of Donald Trump. I mean, not obviously not the whole community, but he lost a lot of that black support that you would get simply because you're black. Um, they were. I, I remember them wanting to trade him for somebody. I forget exactly who the swap was supposed to be with, but. Yeah, there is no tolerance on the left for dissension, any dissension whatsoever. If you, um, even as a black guy, if you come out in support of something that is not in lockstep with leftist ideology, they will turn on you faster than a speeding bullet. It It is really um, just, you know, I talk about hypocrisy. I was talking about hypocrisy a minute ago. They they preach tolerance. All they talk about is tolerance. They want everybody to be uh, tolerant of the LGBTQ lifestyles or whatever. But at the same time, they're never tolerant of anybody that has a different viewpoint from them on any issue. It's not like you could agree with them on 99% of things. And that 1%, no matter how minute of a topic it is, if that's, you know, if you're not in lockstep with him, that's it. It's over. You're Hitler. It really is uh, pretty incredible. But I've seen some people trying to argue that Kanye would take votes away from Biden simply because he's black. And then I see people saying he's going to take votes away from Donald Trump. You know, I think both might be true, um, but I don't think he would pull as many 
Democratic black votes as as some people might realize. It would just be hilarious to, to try to see Joe Biden make the case for representing black people better than Kanye West. I would love to see I would love to see him have to try to make that argument. That would just be hilarious to me. And the media back it up and all of these um Biden supporters talk about how you know have to back that up as well. That would just be comedic gold. But don't forget how close the la- the last election was. And Donald Trump won like everything, every swing state that he needed to win, he won by very thin margins. So even if like Kanye or anybody else gets on these ballots and can take some of those important votes away from a Donald Trump, he could be in some pretty big trouble because... The odds are already looking very badly for him. And the last time to beat Hillary Clinton, everything had to go right. So if, if you throw a little monkey wrench in there, whew, it's uh, not looking good for old Teflon Don. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of thought. I didn't put a lot of thought into that. I just thought it was maybe worth mentioning on the show because I thought it was pretty funny that the um, th- this is where we are today. <laughs> We we went from uh, Donald Trump, you know, celebrity apprentice, to uh, now uh, a, a Kanye West, a, a rap star, is going to uh, is going to run for president. And you know, I love anything that just sort of shines a light on how stupid and ridiculous the whole political process is. Nothing makes me happier in in terms of politics. I would say I did. I came across a an article. Originally, I, I saw it, I think, on Twitter. Bernie Sanders tweeted about it, which was pretty funny. And then I, I saw it in sort of my perusing of the Internet where all these uh, uh, economists say that they uh, want cash payments for, for Americans. And, of course, since they're economists, they have um, the appeal of authority to the, the likes of Bernie Sanders. He can now point to economists and and say, look, even these economists think that uh, we should be handing out free money to people indefinitely. So I want to get into that for the second half of the show. But first, I wanted to remind you all of our sponsor for today's show, and you all should be very familiar with them by now. Hopefully you've had at least one of their cups of coffee, and that is Lorenzotti Coffee. I actually know that a lot of you have tried some Lorenzotti coffee because I got the numbers for the month of June from them, and they were pretty good. But if you haven't tried Lorenzotti coffee yet, I highly suggest you do so. It's a small business run by two liberty-minded entrepreneurs brought together by their love of coffee. They provide premium Italian coffee delivered right to your door, and they will also provide professional coffee brewing equipment like an espresso machine for those of you with maybe a small business or a small coffee house or something like that so that they can make that small independent coffee house feel more prevalent here in America. So go to lorenzotti.coffee. That's L-O-R. E is in Edward, N is in Nancy, Z is in Zebra, O-T-T-I dot coffee. And if you use promo code FICTION so they know I sent you, you'll get 10% off your order. And if you order enough coffee, I believe you have to order two tins of coffee, you'll get free shipping. 
on your order. So go and do that today. Get yourself some good coffee. Support our sponsors who help make this show possible. That's Lorenzotti.coffee, promo code FICTION. All right. Oh, I just, I was pulling up my uh, Twitter to find the Bernie Sanders tweet, and it looked like I caused a little uh, hubbub with some Yang Daily podcast. Never heard the Yang Daily podcast, but I I bet I know what it's about. (laughs) Universal basic income. That's pretty funny. Yeah, sometimes I just uh, tweet something and then put my phone down for like a couple hours. And Anyway, he would like my wisdom on why the UBI, why economists are wrong about the UBI. It just so happens I've done a podcast on that. Maybe I will drop that in there. Hang on. I guess this is as good a time as ever to tell you to follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction if you want to get in on some of the uh, some of the action here. Ah, screw it. I can't find it. I don't think I titled it UBI or anything like that. Maybe I'll find it later. So the article, the article I'm referring to is from Reuters, and it says economists call for more direct cash payments tied to the health of the economy. And Bernie uh, Bernie Sanders responds to this. You don't need a PhD in economics to know this, but it can't hurt. We need direct monthly cash payments for everybody in America until the crisis is over. To which, of course, I I just quipped, why stop when the crisis is over? If this is such a good idea, why don't we do it in perpetuity? Let's go to the article real quick, and I'll go through this a little bit. Economists call for more direct cash payments tied to the health of the economy. Direct cash payments can improve financial security, boost consumer spending, and may speed up the recovery according to a letter from a group of economists calling on U.S. policymakers to keep providing direct cash payments to Americans until the economy is stronger. The stimulus payments should be issued automatically based on certain economic indicators, such as the unemployment rate, until there is enough evidence that the economy is recovering. The group mostly The group of mostly left-leaning economists said in an open letter organized by the Economic Security Project and the Justice Collaborative. The first round of economic impact payments were a lifeline that helped some get by for a few weeks, the economists wrote. Even after businesses started to reopen and jobs begin to come back, there will be significant economic fallout and demand will continue to lag if people don't have money to spend. The letter was signed by 153 economists, including Jason Furman, who chaired the Council of Economic Advisors during the Obama administration. Uh, Claudia Sam, a former uh, Fed economist. Derek Hamilton of the uh, Kirwan Institute. Never heard of that. For the study of race and ethnicity at The Ohio State University. That's why I've never heard of it. And Indivar Dutta Gupta co-executive director of at Georgetown Center on Poverty and Inequality. Well, this is just great because all of these, um, the Obama administration, economic advisor, a Fed economist, uh, race and eth- ethnicity, and uh, poverty and inequality. Those are the, insta- the at least uh, some of the economists that signed on to this. And interestingly enough, they're all advocating for policies that were not only implemented during the Obama administration, but when they were implemented and they're being implemented to this day, they're exacerbating all of the organizations that they supposedly work for and support poverty, inequality, the entire monetary policy of the the entire economic policy that I'm going to get into in a little bit of the Obama administration and the monetary policy of the Fed 
are in um, direct contrast with the stated outcomes of poverty and inequality. The Obama administration economic policy and the Federal Reserve monetary policy only serve to exacerbate the problems of poverty and inequality and disproportionately affect uh, minority populations. So the whole race thing as well. All, <laughs> all of the policies they're advocating for have an adverse effect on all of their stated uh, constituents. Perfect. Some of the signatories are advising the campaign of presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden. The stimulus payments issued in April under the $2.3 trillion CARES Act helped lift spending for lower-income households faster than higher-income households, with much of the cash going to essentials, according to analysis by Harvard University's Opportunity Insights. Okay, now I, I know I've talked about this at length before. If you've been listening to the show for any, you know, at least the last um, couple of weeks, you should have heard why policies like this are an economic disaster. The root of this is the fact that all of these economists have the economic cart before the horse. They think that spending drives economic growth when it doesn't. It's savings and investment and production that drive economic growth. And they're always concerned with spending and stimulating demand, as if demand needs to be stimulated. It doesn't. We all have infinite demand for things. You know, We all want everything all the time, as much of it as we can get. That doesn't need to be stimulated. It need, the, the things that we demand need to be produced first. That's the problem. You can't consume something that hasn't been produced. I mean, it's so... Um, like simple and rudimentary and obvious that it's amazing that people with economics degrees don't understand it. I mean, it's intuitive. <laughs> it, it, getting an economics degree this day and age literally means that you have to throw your common sense out the window. You know, Bernie Sanders is right about one thing. It shouldn't take a, an, a PhD in economics to have the um, economic outlook equivalent to a second grader. And I am not exaggerating on that. The economic policies of the Obama administration, which for all intents and purposes are the same as a Bernie Sanders administration or a Joe Biden administration, have been voiced by second graders in an interview. And I remembered this interview from years ago. This is probably from 10 years ago now. This is during the Obama administration. It was CNN or somebody was doing an interview Chris Cuomo is interviewing these kids and they're in second grade and he's asking them questions about the economy for some reason, as if we should be taking economic advice from children. How old are you in second grade? What was you like six, seven? I forget how old you are in, in second grade. But the funniest part is that almost everything these second graders said we were already doing as a like it was literally the Obama administration's economic plan it is Joe Biden's economic plan. It is Bernie Sanders economic plan. Um, even Donald Trump. It, it's just absolutely hilarious that our entire um, government economic plan on both sides matches up perfectly with what like a seven year old thinks the economic plan should be. And as a general rule of thumb, if a second grader thinks you should do it for economic reasons, probably not the best approach. Probably if, you, if your economic prescription or your economic ideology matches up with what a second grader 
says we should uh, the country should do from an economic standpoint, I think you might want to rethink your ideology. Just a thought. But here we go. Here's Chris Cuomo and a bunch of children talking about what we should do from an economic standpoint to save America. And then we will compare what the children say to what these 153 economists and Bernie Sanders and the Andrew Yangs of the world say America needs to do. This is right after one of the kids commented that we should try to make more stuff here in America. What can we make here? Pants that glow in the dark. Glow in the dark pants. That's what I'm talking about. What else can we make? You can put money in a printer, then you can print it, then it'll make more money. That's called counterfeiting, and you go to jail for the rest of your life if you do that. That's illegal. That's illegal. What about a money machine? Or like a tree that makes money. My wife believes I have one of those in my backyard. You do? You do? I don't. That'd no, be I awesome. Don't. Yes. <laughs> Maybe we can make a rocket skateboard. A rocket skateboard. Oh. 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 Yeah, two oh. rockets on the side and you and you hit a button and you do zoom. <laughs> All right, so the kids are kind of cute. But uh, the hilarious thing is that that one kid basically summed up our entire economic our monetary policy, a money machine. I don't know why Cuomo thinks it's counterfeiting. I guess it's counterfeiting if you were to do it as an individual. But if you're a Federal Reserve or you're the Treasury Department and you're just running dollar bills off a printing press, then it's not counterfeit. Then it's monetary policy. I mean, that's exactly what the Federal Reserve is doing, creating money out of nothing. They do it with keystrokes. Treasury actually has a money printing machine, and this is their answer to our economic woes. Just print money and give it to people. Or we need, a, we need a money tree in our backyard. We could just grow money, right? I mean, we have that. That is the Federal Reserve. That is Powell. This is quantitative easing. This is these economic stimulus plans. That, that's our money tree. That's our printing press, our, our, our money machine. You can't make this stuff up. It's absolutely hilarious. But according to these 153 left-leaning economists, this is the answer to our economic woes. Just print money and hand it out to people. Just give it to them. It's on the same level of thought as the second grader. It's like, well, we need more money. Why don't we just print it? I mean, it's a piece of paper. Just print it off and give it to people, and then everybody will have money. Why don't we just do that a billion times over? It's the same thing with the UBI. Why don't we just give people money to buy stuff? Because you have to create the stuff before people can buy it. That's why. I mean, it's so simple. If you were just standing alone on an island and I printed up a bunch of money and gave it to you, what would you do with it? You have nothing to buy unless you produce something first. And nothing can be produced unless you first save and invest in plant and equipment to produce it. I've already gone over that like a million times on this show before. So I'm not going to rehash that out. You have to go back and listen to the, the previous episodes where I, I explain the economic issues with that. What I do want to get into is I'm, I'm going to try to attack this from a different angle, which is how it creates all of this um, economic inequality that all of these economists claim to be against. This this will only exacerbate it. And I'm going to get into that in a second. I think we got enough time to play some more of this clip though because it is pretty pretty freaking hilarious he goes and asks one of the girls in this second grade group wants to run for president so he asks her 
some some questions about her presidency. Let's just go ahead and roll this real quick. Why should I vote for you? I'll like ask the rich people to give some of the money to the government, and ask the government to give the people people who really need the money. Who's voting for Kaneen for president when she grows up? Oh yeah, I don't want to give any more money. Well, then you're greedy. Oh, I'm greedy. No offense. <laughs> oh, this is just so great because it is. These second graders are literally explaining our government's entire economic policy. Right? You're gonna. Take money from the rich, give it to the poor, print up a bunch of money, and hand it out to people to so they have things to buy, and then use the government to come up with I- ideas of things that we could subsidize, like glow-in-the-dark pants and rocket-propelled skateboards or whatever that kid was talking about. I mean, that is what our government's uh, policy, economic policy is, in a nutshell. That is the, the left in America. It is... Print money, tax the rich, give it to the poor, and use the government to subsidize our retarded ideas. And subsidize all these politically connected companies with with ideas. I just saw an article today. You know, it was I didn't actually um, get get to read all of it, but it was talking about how all these biotech firms that are getting th- this grant money for to come up with coronavirus vaccines. Oh, they all have political connections to Donald Trump. Yeah, well, yeah, shocking, shocking. Yeah, the the government's going to throw money at all their politically connected companies to subsidize their their products. Products that the government thinks we need, products that a bunch of bureaucrats in Washington think we need. We're not going to let the market decide on what people need. We're not going to let 300 million people acting in their own self-interest decide what we need. We're going to decide that from the top down, from Washington on out. And then we're going to fund it with your money that we steal from you and the money that we uh, create from our, our money machine. In other words, we have the exact same economic policy as a country as a bunch of seven-year-olds. Fantastic. Anyway, I, I always found that that um, interview always stuck with me for some reason. I remembered it, you know, 10 years after the fact or whatever it was. So but I, I want to back up and talk about this Reuters article with these um, 153 economists that think providing direct cash payments to America until the economy is stronger is the only um, way that we can get through an economic downturn. Because not only is it highly inflationary, not only are you just going to have more dollars in circulation chasing these same amount of goods, you got to think about where those dollars go. And that's why it's so hilarious to me that that director of Georgetown Center on Poverty and Inequality is on board with this because all this is going to do is create inequality. Okay, if the government prints up a bunch of money from their money machine or their money tree that's growing out and you know behind uh, Capitol Hill or whatever, and they give those dollars out to Americans, let's say they just give direct cash payments like this article, like these economists want them to direct cash payments to people who are unemployed or underemployed or whatever, you know, economic indicators they use to, to give people money. What are those people going to do with the money? What do they want them to do with the money? The, the reason that they're giving them the, the stimulus payments is so that they will spend it. Correct. Like that's their stated goal. We're going to give them this money. And that will boost consumer spending and speed up the recovery. And that's a direct quote from the article. Okay, well, if they create a bunch of money out of thin air that was not in existence and they give it to Joe Sixpack 
the first thing Joe Sixpack is going to do is spend that money, meaning he's going to give that money to Amazon or Walmart or some other company or some other rich person who owns a business, right? So all of these dollars that they're giving to people to spend just end up back in the company coffers of rich people, in the bank accounts of the, of the small business owner. More likely, the bank accounts of, of Jeff Bezos. All that's going to do is exacerbate economic inequality. Because now you've created money out of thin air and essentially just given it to Jeff Bezos. How do they not see this? I mean, this is just so... Even if you give it... Even if you do it the, the paycheck protection plan way, where you give it to the, the company, you give it to the small business to pay his workers, he's going to pay his workers who aren't working. They aren't producing anything, right? That was the whole idea of the paycheck protection program. It's like, yeah, you know, your, your business is closed, but keep paying your workers to not produce anything, to not work until we can start working again. And if you do, you don't have to return any of the money. Okay, so the work, the company gives the money to the workers who aren't working. They're sitting at home. They're ordering things from Amazon. They're ordering things, you know, delivery from Costco and Walmart and Target and all these big companies. Right. And that money that was created out of thin air and given to the businesses goes from the businesses to the Joe six packs. And then the Joe six packs spend the money at Amazon. All of the money ends up back in Jeff Bezos' pocket. Why do you think these billionaires just keep getting richer and richer? Because we keep creating trillions of dollars out of thin air and essentially giving it right back to them indirectly, right? I mean, all this is going to do, in addition to creating a ton of inflation, that will make it impossible for the Joe six-packs of the world to buy anything later on down the road, is exacerbate the economic inequality that all of these uh, 100, I guarantee you, these 153 left-leaning economists and the Yang Gang Daily Podcast or whatever, all of these lefties bemoan the fact that these the rich get richer and the poor get poor. Well, take a look at our monetary policy. That That's the way it works. We're creating money out of thin air and giving it indirectly back to Amazon, back to Walmart back to the restaurant owner and if it's you know if they're spending it on things that they're just going to consume like entertainment or food or like electricity or something like that they're no wealthier than they were before and all of that money flows back into the companies i wish i could like draw out a diagram just to show the flow of this money but i think you guys can visualize what i'm saying it's pretty straightforward um even if it flows through the banks, the banks give it to the people, the people give it right back to the bank. Like no matter where you you put this money, if the if the goal is to get people to spend it on things, it's going to end up in the pockets of the people that attract that money in the first place. The people that have companies, the people that produce things, the people that are already wealthy. And they're going to get wealthier. They are going to have all the dollars. And maybe the Americans will have some of the stuff. But these are, you know, cheap depreciating assets, you know, things made overseas in China and whatever, or it's food and energy, things that they're consuming. It's another reason why the way we measure economic inequality is kind of sloppy, because you do get something when you spend the money, right? If I buy an iPhone, I get the iPhone and, and you know, Apple gets the money. But as far as like the, the measure of 
economic inequality goes, they only measure the dollars that change hands. So it's like, well, $1,300 moved from my bank account to uh, Apple's bank account. And so Apple's $1,300 richer and I'm $1,300 poorer. They never account for the actual item that I got. But if that's the way they're going to measure economic inequality, this policy will only exacerbate that to the nth degree. No matter who you end up getting the money to, if the idea is to have it flow down to, to you know the, the, the lowest common man and have him spend it, he's, he's going to spend that money and give it right back to rich people and they're going to get richer. And then they're going to take that money and they get to invest it in appreciating assets and grow their wealth exponentially. There is no doubt that there would be economic inequality under a, a free market capitalist system, but there's also no doubt that it would never get to the um, extreme extents that we're seeing today. This is a function of government monetary policy, which, which just happens to be the same uh, economic policy of a second grader. All right, I'm going to wrap there, guys. Hope you all enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction and join our private Facebook group if you're uh, if you haven't already done that. There's a lot of a lot of activity going on in there. And also don't forget, you know, I do have some more advertising space available on the show. So if you you have something you want to plug, or a, a product or a company or a small business or something, send me an email at pedaling at pedalingfictionpodcast.com and I'm sure we could work something out. And don't forget to check out Navy SEAL Target of Opportunity. His ad campaign just ended this week, but I know he, you know, he put a lot of work into that and it would really mean the world to him. If he got a good response from the, the peddling fiction listeners to, to show support, go, go check it out. It's a free stream on um, Amazon. That's where I watched it. I think, you know, it had like a couple commercials or whatever, but it's no big deal. And, you know, we're all sitting around anyways. So go, go check it out. I think you'll enjoy it and um, you, you'll help support, uh, you know, uh, a like-minded anarcho-capitalist filmmaker who put, who put a lot of work into that and would love to see it really take off. So, if you haven't already, go go check it out. And then, of course, you can always uh, support this show monetarily by going to peddlingfictionpodcast.com. And if you can do all that for me, I will be back on Friday with a brand new episode for you. Until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.